Welcome to the audio channel of Dr. Sadaf. Preach Christ, teach the Bible, make disciples. Thank you, Pastor. Let's all turn to 2 Samuel chapter 9. Nine. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Let us pray. Now we humble ourselves before God Almighty, whose grace has gifted us and whose love has saved us. Patiently now we wait for thee. Your word is a lamp to our paths and a light to our feet. May the Holy Spirit strengthen us to deliver a word of power so that many to Jesus will come and meet. Amen. In his first sermon of 2016, our lead pastor said, 2016 is going to be a year of personal holiness. The question that then plagued my mind was, what happens when individual believers determined to be holy now come together as a church, as the body of Christ. The question I'm asking is this, what is the purpose of our church? What is the mission statement of Deeper Life Christian Fellowship? And the answer to that question is this sermon. The answer is, our mission is to seek, to reach, and to restore. Now I'm going to go into depth about what each of those three things mean. But allow me to paint a picture in your mind to illustrate the three points. I want you to imagine that the world is an island. And we're going to call this island lost. Everyone who lives on the island is called lost. And the reason why it's called lost is because Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19.10. So God one day says... There are some of my chosen elect stuck on this island. And ultimately, the fate of anyone who stays on the island is not going to be good. Because the penalty for sin is always not so nice. So God first sought us. He initiated a seek mission. And after God sought us, he then reached down from heavenly places. He went from the divine to the natural, from heavenly places to earthly ones. And when God reached down and bridged the gap, that's when we got Jesus, who reached us where we were. He was a flesh and bones human being who broke bread like we did, who sat down at a dinner table and used words and language that we could understand. 
And the reason why Jesus reached us where we were is so that he could restore a broken relationship to our Father in heaven. Jesus was the bridge to get off the island of lost. And that bridge leads to our Father in heaven, to paradise. Seek, reach, restore. And it is because God first sought after, reached, and restored us that we now, as the church, are compelled to seek, reach, and restore others. So if you're ready to learn what seek, reach, and restore means, say amen. Amen. Deeper Life mission statement component number one. Seek. As in, seek the lost. This means we as a church, we know about the bridge. We're on the bridge who is Jesus. And we get our binoculars ready and we look out across the horizon of the island of lost, looking for God's chosen elect to bring them back. Seeking means striving after and finding those who do not know Jesus and making an introduction. Seeking means continually asking, is there anyone left in this world to whom I may show kindness for Jesus' sake? And before I go to the verses in 2 Samuel chapter 1, let me give you a little backstory so everyone understands this narrative in 2 Samuel. It's about King David, who's king of Israel. He basically seeks, reaches, and restores Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is the grandson of a former king, King Saul, who has now passed away. This is David's backstory. David was a shepherd. Prophet Samuel comes up to him and says, you're going to be king of Israel one day. David says, okay. He ends up knocking down Goliath. He ends up in the company of King Saul and his son, Jonathan. David and Jonathan become best buddies. They are the best of friends. They're BFFs. And they love each other so much as friends David one day says to Jonathan, he makes a vow, a covenant, and he says, because of my love for you, I will never do any harm to any of your descendants ever. And as it turns out, Saul and Jonathan both pass away. And now David is the king of Israel. And now we're at 2 Samuel chapter 9. The text says, Then King David said, Is there anyone, is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David. And the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. King David then said, Is there not yet anyone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? Same question repeated. There's emphasis there. And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan who is crippled in both feet. And as we'll learn, that son is Mephibosheth. 
So here's the first thing about seeking when we seek the lost. Seeking doesn't make any sense. Let's remember the lineage here. Saul was the former king of Israel. Saul had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan had a son, Mephibosheth. So even though Mephibosheth is the grandson of the former king, David is now the current king of the king of Israel. So technically speaking, Mephibosheth, the grandson of the former king, had a legal claim to the crown of Israel. So technically speaking, Mephibosheth was a threat to King David. In that context, it would have been normal if David woke up one day and said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul that I may wipe out? And people would have said, that makes a lot of sense, King David. They wouldn't have even thought twice about it. If David woke up one day and said, is there anyone left from the house of Saul that I can just leave alone? People would say, King David, you're, you're a pretty okay, decent guy. But David chose to do neither. He woke up one day and he said, is there anyone left of the house of Saul to whom I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? This kindness was voluntary. This kindness wasn't prompted. This kindness didn't make any sense because this kindness, just like the kindness of God, breaks all the rules. And this word kindness derives from probably the most important Hebrew word in the entire Bible. Now get your pens ready. You may have learned dozens and dozens of Hebrew words in the last 20 years. This is the most important one. Are your pens ready? Yes. Kindness comes from the Hebrew word hesed. H-E-S-E-D, which means loving kindness, steadfast love, good favor, grace, mercy, and seeking just like the hesed of God doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense for an omnipotent, all-powerful God who needs nothing to say, I'm going to save my fallen creation. And how I'm going to do that is to sacrifice myself, my son, on the cross to pay the penalty for sin. It doesn't make any sense. The reason why I could wake up this morning and take a breath was because of the hesed, the loving kindness, the grace of God. The reason why in the 1980s you could have forgotten about God. The reason why in the 1990s you could have wavered between two opinions. The reason why in the 2000s you still could have said, God, not ready yet. But then when 2010 hit, you said, God, I'm ready. And he said, yes, my child, come back to where you belong. It doesn't make any sense. But the only thing that can make sense of that is the hesed, the loving kindness 
of a gracious and loving God. And because the hesed of God makes no sense, when we seek the lost, neither does that. Because seeking doesn't make any sense. And the word hesed is so important. When God Almighty describes himself, he uses the word hesed. Exodus 34, 6-7. The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Micah 6, 8. He has told you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God. Because the hesed of God makes no sense, and neither does seeking. Seeking is also motivated by your relationship with God. Seeking is motivated by your relationship with God. Has anyone ever considered that the way you treat other people is a direct reflection of how you perceive God? What does that mean? If you think God is a tyrannical keeper of a scorecard, then you're going to be very harsh and judgmental towards others. If you think God really stands for nothing and can say, never mind to sin, then you're going to have a view of religion that lets anyone do whatever seems right in their own eyes. David, however, his seeking was motivated by a loving relationship with God. Let's explain that. Right now, we're in 2 Samuel chapter 9. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, you have one of the most beautiful passages in the entire Bible. David wakes up one day, and he feels pretty good about himself. And he says, hey God, I'm going to build you a house. And God says, you, the creation, are going to build me a house that can fit me, God Almighty. David says, yeah, that's my plan. But God doesn't chastise David. He doesn't ridicule him. He says, you know what, David? Because you're someone after my own heart, you thought you were going to build me a house built with bricks and stone. But I'm going to build you a house that's going to be an eternal dynasty. You're a king. You thought you were going to build me a house, but from your line will result a king of kings who will have a kingdom that will span all of eternity. And every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that this seed from your line will be the Messiah, will be the king of kings and the Lord of lords. So when David woke up that day and put what he thought he was trying to do for God in context, he must say, my goodness, 
Who is this God that's giving himself for me? God really must love me. And because of that relationship, because of that love from God himself, David's seeking was motivated by his relationship with God, which is why he could wake up one day and say, to whom may I show hesed, kindness, for Jonathan's sake? But not only did David seek Mephibosheth, he also reached for him, which brings us to our second point. Deeper Life mission statement focus number two. Reach people where they are. Reach people where they are. I'm going to spend some time on this because this one is going to unrattle some people. So my wife and son were recently in Grenada. Our room was right next to the beach. So every day we'd head out, and me loving the water, the first thing I would do is just go hundreds of feet out, 300 feet, 400 feet. Water was like 100 feet deep. They were undercurrents, but I didn't, I didn't matter because I love the water. I love to swim. I could stay there for hours. My son, on the other hand, can't swim. So once he got bored with his iPad, he would run up to the edge of the water saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And I realized that although I was very comfortable in the deep water, it would be unsafe for my two-year-old son to be where I was. So in order to reach him, I had to meet him where he was, where he was comfortable. Because even though deep water was fine for me, I've been swimming for decades and have been doing this for a very, very long time. But for him, it was very unsafe. So I had to step out of the area where I was comfortable and reach him where he was. So at the very edge of the water, I would hold my two-year-old son where the water never became higher than three or four inches. And if a wave came, I would protect him. And when he wanted to kick his feet, I would slowly guide him into the water. And over time, as we go back to the beach over and over and over again, when I reach him where he is, we'll slowly ease into the water. So one day, when he's a grown man and he has a son, he'll be all the way out, hundreds and miles away, and he'll reach someone else where they are, and then guide them into deep waters. So when we reach people, I don't care how many degrees you have, how much Bible you know. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters where they are and where they're going. So the language you use, the terminology, the cultural norms, how we relate to people, has to meet them where they are to eventually guide them to where you are. Reaching means doing what is radical, uncomfortable, and unexpected to make a connection. Reaching means taking others by the hand and leading them into a deep personal relationship with Jesus. 
Reaching means it doesn't matter where they are, it matters where they are going. So back to our text, 2 Samuel 9, verses 4 to 6. So David said to Ziba, where is Mephibosheth? I paraphrase there. And Ziba said to the king, behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, here is your servant. So when we reach people where they are, there are three directions we can go. We can reach up, which is very hard to do and has very low impact. When we reach up, we're reaching up to someone who thinks they have it all figured out, who thinks they have it all together. And even if what you're saying is truth, they have little regard for what you have to say. You can reach across, which has a moderate amount of impact. Reaching across entails reaching across to people you everyday people meet in their everyday life. But when you reach down and extend a hand to someone who feels broken and extend a hand to someone who feels vulnerable and dare I even say extend a hand to someone who's been hurt by the church or someone in church, that has a tremendous amount of impact because you're graciously extending a hand and picking someone back up. Reaching people where they are means reaching down. As I said in the introduction, that's exactly who Jesus was. God taking the form of a human being, reaching down to meet us where we are. And David reached down to Mephibosheth. He reached down to someone who was cast away and to someone who was far away. David reached down to someone who was cast away and he asked, where is Mephibosheth? And this is why this was so impactful. David was the king. He was on a high plane in society. He had the best of everything. He had the best clothes, the best food, the best advisors, the best of everything. If you wanted to be in the presence of King David, you had to bring your A-plus game. So when he asked the question, where is Mephibosheth? He was asking, where is a person who at the time was living on the fringes of society? Someone who was disregarded as lowly. 
Mephibosheth's name actually means one who scatters shame. So one of David's advisors could rightfully say, King David, why are you tarnishing our reputation with this shameful character? He's going to pollute your royal court. But consider Mephibosheth's response, being on the fringes, being disenfranchised, being in this lowly social position when the king reaches out to him and says, I want to see you in my court. The gesture alone of reaching down would have had tremendous impact because David is defying social norms to reach down to someone. But here's the thing. David's advisors may have said, this person is shameful. This person has a handicap. They have a problem which makes them unsuitable to sit next to us. They would say, because Mephibosheth is lame in two feet, there are certain things he can't do. He's not, even a, he's not even a man. He can't function as one. But what does 2 Samuel 9.12 tell us? It says Mephibosheth had a son. Which means people who are hating on Mephibosheth would say, from the waist down, he's no good. But surprise, in reality, the one thing with Fibosheth you thought that you thought he couldn't do, he in fact already did. You may think because she's a teenager, she can't handle the responsibility of the task you set before her. But surprise, in fact, God has already given her that gift. You may think because they sit in the back of the church and they don't say much, that they don't know what's going on, or they don't have the gift to actually talk to people. But surprise, God already gave them that ability. Because when you reach down to people who are cast away, God will surprise you with what turns up. The other thing that David did is he reached down to someone who was far away. At the time David reached out to Mephibosheth, he lived in a place called Lodabar, which was actually outside of David's kingdom. It was as if David was the mayor of New York and Mephibosheth lived in Philadelphia. Someone could rightly say, it's out of our territory. This doesn't concern us whatsoever. And in David reaching out to someone who is far away, the key point here is this. Someone being far away in distance is one thing. But someone could also be far away in a relational distance. Everyone that is married knows exactly what I'm talking about. Because when you and your husband or you and your wife have a good Holy Ghost-inspired fight. You could be inches away from the other person. And even though they're near, they are galaxies away. So far away can also mean relational distance. So as I was preparing this message, 
I realized that there were many people in my life who weren't physically far away, but relationally eons and galaxies and light years away. And I could incredibly come up here and preach about seek, reach, restore until I reached down for those who were far away. And one person in particular that I reached out to, the first thing they said when they answered the phone was, who died? Because of course, if I called her, I couldn't call just to say hi. Someone had to have passed away. She shrieked. She was crying. I was like, wait a minute. It's supposed to be a happy time. Don't cry. So after a few minutes after I let her know things were okay, at the end of a very lengthy conversation, she said, I am so glad you called. I was praying you would reach out to me. I thought I was going to die before I heard from you. And I said, wait a minute. You mean there's no hostility? You mean there's no bitterness? You mean all the barriers that I thought were going to impede our relationship existed in my mind only? You mean you're honestly praying for restoration of a relationship? And all it took was for me to simply reach down and pick up a phone? Could it really be that simple? In this case, it was. Because there are many people in our lives who are in a low debar, a place of no communication, a place of no association. And yes, it may be awkward, it may be strange, it may go against what feels right. But in order to seek, reach, and restore, we have to reach down who are those who are relationally far away. Now David reached down to Mephibosheth, but he did that with the intent to restore. Which brings us to our last point. Restore God's family. Restore God's family. So back to our island, restoring means we've sought people, we've reached for them, and now we take them by the hand and bring them back to the community that's now walking across the bridge back to God. Restoring means repairing broken relationships between people and with God. Restoring means embracing those who feel unworthy to be called sons and daughters of Christ. Restoring means building up other members and empowering them to fulfill their calling. Restoring means making room for others to take a seat at God's table. So verses 7 to 10. <clears throat> David said to Mephibosheth, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore, I will restore to you all the land of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. And he prostrated himself and said, 
What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Then the king called Saul's servant Ziba and said to him, All that belong to Saul and to his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. And the rest of the verses tell us that Mephibosheth was a routine member at David's table, and Ziba, the servant, worked the lands and gave produce to Mephibosheth and his family. So all that was lost has now been found. All that was lost has now been restored. So when we restore God's family, restoration does three things. Restoration demonstrates grace. The first statement from King David to the old king's lost son is, do not fear. This is a salvation oracle intended to give assurance. As it says in Isaiah 41.10, do not fear, for I am with you. Isaiah 43.1, do not fear, for I, the Lord, have redeemed you. I have called you by my name. You are mine. And the reason why David demonstrates grace, the reason why David gives assurance is because David is a king. And kings are always interested in building kingdoms. And a king realizes that a kingdom works best when people are working together. Because if you have a kingdom where people are fighting, what you have is civil war. And civil war destroys people. So in restoring God's family, David demonstrates grace. And that manifests as giving assurance, giving people comfort and a purpose to rally behind. Restoring God's family also repairs broken identities. Mephibosheth bowed down before David and said, What is your servant that you should regard a dead dog like me? Mephibosheth, the man whose name means one who scatters shame, bowed down and thought of himself as a worthless animal before the king. Now, isn't it ironic that someone else in David's life referred to themselves sarcastically as a dog? And that person also had a broken identity, but it was broken in the wrong direction. Goliath in 1 Samuel 17 said, David, am I but a dog to you? And he said that from a position of arrogance, from pride. And God crushed Goliath. 
but the one who humbled himself before the king, who thought so lowly of himself, that's who God chose to restore back to where he rightfully belonged. Because you see, David looked at Mephibosheth and said, your name may mean one who scatters shame. You may be crippled in both feet. But last time I checked, you are still the grandson of a king. Which means you have royal blood flowing through your veins. So you, my friend, are not in fact a dead dog. You, have, you are a member of a royal bloodline. You are a member of God's chosen elect. You are made in the image and likeness of the Most High God. So no, you are not a dead dog. You are in the presence of a king who is now telling you, you are somebody. Because of the kindness of God that he's shown to me, I will now show that same kindness to you. Now stand and join me at my table because you are somebody, you are special, you are one of God's chosen creations. Now dust your mirror off and reflect the light that God has chosen to shine on you. Because restoration repairs broken identities. Restoration also unifies. David restoring means giving back to Mephibosheth land that is his by right of inheritance. Biblically speaking, separation is always a means, but is never an end in and of itself. Separation always happens for a season, but is never God's intended end point. Example, Tower of Babel in Genesis. People try to build a tower up to God. God says no. He scatters them and separates them with different languages. Babel is reversed when, in Acts at Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes down and now people can interpret others' tongues. When Israel was in the Promised Land, they fell under judgment and they were separated from the land, only to eventually be restored back to the land. The prodigal son, he was separated from his father, only to, in the end, it was a happy ending, come back and be restored to his family. What is heaven by definition? It is we are glorified and restored face-to-face -face in a fellowship and eternal communion with God. There's unity. What is hell by definition? Total and complete separation from God. Because restoration always unifies, and we, as a unified body of Christ, realize that as each member serves a different function, if the different parts are scattered about, we will accomplish little. But the unified parts together can accomplish so much more. In conclusion, how this story relates to Jesus. We basically have David, a king that sits on a throne, 
who seek, reaches, and restores for someone who is broken and vulnerable, Mephibosheth. And there is a mediator in that process, Ziba. In a similar way, God the Father in heaven seeks to seek, reach, and restore with us. And there is a mediator that serves between the two, who is Jesus. And it is because God first sought, reached, and restored us that we, know, we now go out and seek, reach, restore. Now what this means for our everyday lives is simple. In the upcoming weeks and the upcoming months, there are going to be many different people doing many different things. And I've already begun recruiting and talking to different folks to serve in different capacities. But I want to leave you with one concrete first step, one concrete goal that we're all going to take. We're all going to begin to seek. Which means, in the next 60 days, Resurrection Sunday is two months away, 60 days. Everyone is going to bring one, one, one new person to church. A new person could mean someone you see every day, but never had a real conversation with. Someone new could mean someone from work who your talks are limited to the Giants and basketball, but now it's going to involve a deeper life. Someone new could mean someone that was in deeper life 20 years ago, but is now praying for someone to reach down and pick up a phone and bring them back in. So we will all begin to seek one person by Easter Sunday. Now we're going to do this. We're all as a church going to seek, reach, restore because God called us to do this. Because in the Great Commission, Jesus instructs each and every one of us to go out into the nations in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and to seek, reach, and restore others, to bring them back into fellowship with Him. And the most compelling reason for us is this. The original founder of this church, my grandfather, built Deeper Life Christian Fellowship on a theme verse. And that verse is Isaiah 40, 31. And it says, Yet those who wait on the Lord shall gain new strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run, but they shall not become tired. They will walk, but they will not become weary. So like eagles, we will soar above and seek for those who are lost with our acute vision. We will run in order to reach those who are far from God and bring them back to Him. And once we have seeked them, and once we have reached them, we shall walk with them hand in hand, off the island of lost, back to the bridge, reconciling them as a church, as a nurturing community to restore the broken relationship. And that is what Seek, Reach, Restore is all about. God bless you.
for listening to this podcast from Dr. Sadafo. For more valuable information and resources, please visit chesadafo.com.